Amen. I am uh, so excited for what we're going to do the rest of the morning. Um, so thank you guys for leading us in worship and the chance to, yeah, um, it's good. Uh, Sunday in and Sunday out, uh, we praise the Lord together, and uh, these guys uh, do a great job of leading us, and I'm so thankful for them. So I, I want to invite my friend uh, Lance Cadell to come and uh, join me up here, and he's going to... He's going to share the Bible with us this morning, um, but before he does, I want to do a few things, and so um, just talk a little bit about uh, 30 years of, of ministry together, and Lance and I have known each other for, we were talking this morning, like, yeah, 12, 13 years, we think, um, uh, doing ministry here. Yeah, well, you know, at some point, 12 years ago and 15 years ago is all the same. That's true. And for that matter, uh, if it's older than three weeks ago, I'm getting to the point where. Um, so, so a few things I want us to talk about uh, before uh, Lance shares the word with us. First, it's Veterans Day weekend, right? And so I want to say thank you. If, if some of you are veterans, are veterans, thank you. Uh, I'm not going to make you stand up or, or something of that nature, but we do want to acknowledge and say thank you for your service if you have family members who are veterans, thank you for their service. It, uh, it makes a difference. And in the shape the world is in today, uh, we realize uh, what a sacrifice is involved. And so thank you. Um, thank you so much uh, for that. Uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about baptisms, obviously. It's been uh, 30 years back in February since Harvest Community Church began. Uh, it began as a partnership of several churches that were Baptist in background, uh, coincidentally, here in the Eugene Springfield area, uh, along with support from the Northwest Baptist Convention um, and the Southern Baptist Convention as well. And so, you know, here we are 30 years later still baptizing uh, adults, teens, and kids and still living out that same mission. We had Andy Martin with us last Sunday, and Andy shared uh, about why Harvest began. And he and I did not prep that in terms of what he was going to say. He didn't even know what questions I was going to ask. And he described the beginnings of Harvest, and what was running through my mind the whole time is, yeah, we're still doing that. Yeah, we're still loving the community that way. Yeah, we're still doing that. You know, it hasn't died. And that's a great, great uh, that's a great, great thing. And so we were looking through our baptism records this week, and would you believe we're, I don't know, eight or so short, at least after today. I think 390 is the number we're at uh, over this uh, 30 years. So I, I think we're eight short of 400, which means it's doable next year to go over 400 baptisms, and we should go after that and uh, make that happen. That's exciting. Um, in fact, to celebrate that, obviously, uh, we've got baptism photos from around the room. Some of you were baptized here. Uh, I'm, I'm looking around the room and trying to think about this. Uh, anybody in the room who was baptized here? I know second service, that's say, certainly going to be. Their picture? Yes, yes, yes. And I know there'll be uh, far more in second service uh, that do the same. Some of you were baptized in seasons where pictures were uh, not either taken or uh, they're old school pictures, meaning there's no digitals. That hurts a little. Uh, uh, it does a little <laughs> bit, doesn't it? Um, I feel kind of bad because people look around, they're like, where's my picture? And I'm like, mm, mine's kind of everywhere. I, this is not about me. Uh, it's certainly not about me. Um, 
you know, there are pictures of Andy baptizing. Uh, there, there are pictures of Kent baptizing back in the day. Uh, some of our youth pastors baptizing. Um, we've had families baptize, you know, moms, dads, uh, that kind of thing over the years as well. Uh, last week, as uh, we were uh, working through a couple of celebration of life services, Mac McDonald's family found one of the uh, books made of pictures from the very early days, first five years of Harvest Community Church, and when this building was rebuilt and when this this roof was taken off. And uh, that huge tree that sits right out there, there's a picture of a team next to it that just planted it and was a tiny little tree. And so just thinking about the changes over 30 years is amazing. Um, but that book, uh, photo book, with all the old pictures is over here if you want to peruse through that. Uh, we ask that you not take it home, obviously. We think it was at Mac's house. Either Patty made the book or it was here, and at some point they had gone to their house and never made it back. And uh, there are all kinds of things that exist in our houses probably. Chairs, tables, keys, you name it. Who knows? With microphones, who knows what kind of stuff. Uh, sits in all of our houses. So we want to watch a video and celebrate baptisms a little bit more, and then we'll build on that as uh, we continue on. Till I may You call my 
could do that all day long yeah that's fun that's isn't good it good stuff yes that is fun i, I tell you I, I i've been in denominational work now for five years i miss that. that i bet you do that just stirs the heart that is good stuff right bill that that's tough that's hard when you're i got that is so awesome so good yeah i think there was a, a picture of that happening in the in the video and it's probably on the wall uh somewhere it is so exciting to think about God still rescuing people and bringing people yes. to faith and the opportunity we have uh, to think about not only 30 years of looking backwards, but 30 years ahead and what's next, because I don't believe God's done. Do you? No, no not at all. No, the best is yet to come. Exactly. And so, so we're actually announcing today uh, something for the rest of the year that's kind of exciting. We're going to announce today our year-end offering. We've done our year-end offering a number of ways over the years. Of course, we usually collect the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. There's usually some benevolence offering in there. There's usually some catch-up offering or some year-end offering or something like that. We're going to bundle it all into one this year, and we're going to call it Love Big. Because next year, we're going to love big. We're going to love the community big. We're going to love the world big. We're going we're gonna to do everything we can to love big next year. And so next year, uh, we're hoping that when we get to January 1, or at least soon after that, that through love big, over and t- on top of, and I was told by our stewards to make sure I emphasize that, over and on top of our regular offerings, meaning the budget, Right, right, because, you know, bills still have to be paid and, and you know, those things uh, aren't necessarily always exciting. Um, but part of doing ministry together is is our regular ties and offering, right? So on top of, they say you have to say it three times in commercials, right? So on top of our regular offerings, we're looking to raise an additional $35,000 between now and the end of the year to help us love big next year. That love big will look like outreach that we do through a variety of seasons. That love big will look like um, hopefully launching that Hispanic service that we've been talking about over the last year and launching that Hispanic outreach uh, into the community in Spanish language. Uh, it'll look like a lot of other things. We're talking about bringing back either VBS or sports camp next summer, a variety of other not only outreach events but decide Discipleship things, various things we're going to do through the year to love our community well, to work with Monroe, to work with the neighborhood, to do all the things we've been doing to continue to reach families and young families. And so, so love big. You guys in for loving big? Amen. Yeah, I want to. I want to do that. I realize thirty-five thousand dollars over and above a regular offering sounds like a lot of money. Here's what I guarantee you: you're going to receive starting now. Letter after letter after letter in the mail from your university you went to, from some nonprofit you gave to in 1997. You know, everybody busts out their biggest mailing list of the year and writes you and gives you their best plea for why they need your end-of-year giving funds. This is me saying nothing makes a difference like Jesus Christ. 
And so when we give to him, I, I don't know. My, the university I graduated from multiple times a year asks me for money. And I think every time I get in a card in the mail, what you're doing is great. But I got to believe what we're doing at Harvest is greater. And so that's, that's, not, that's not being negative about where I graduated from college. That, that's saying I want to be a part of what Jesus is doing in these future baptisms and in these future lives changed. And, you know, some of these are kids who've grown up and now multiple generations. In fact, later today, we're going to baptize the daughter of two adults that were in the video and around the room in the pictures. And so multiple generations of doing ministry with a family is just a big deal. And we have the chance to love big. And so um, we just want to let you know. Uh, have you pray about it and think about what God would do as we end uh, this incredible year we've had. So that said, welcome welcome back, Lance. That was me talking too long. No, that was awesome. Um, you serve now with, tell us what you do and who you're with. I'm with the Northwest Baptist Convention in the area of evangelism and church health. So what that means is that I have opportunities. I often tell people that I, I have opportunities to work with churches and with pastors to help them kind of take responsibility for their calling and then also for their community. You know, what is it that God's called us to do and then where is it that he's called us to do it? It's not that pastors don't necessarily forget about that, but I do know that sometimes we get in the middle of everything and it's hard to lose sight of why is it that we're doing what we're doing. So that's a part of what I get to do. I get to come in and we offer um, evangelism trainings. We offer just a number of different things. I don't want to. I don't want to step on anything that you no, may no, be no. doing. It's it's all good. In fact, you guys helped us uh, with a grant uh, this so, summer yeah. uh, to do the back to school bash uh, that we did. You know, we took some of their funds, some of our funds, partnered those together, and did the back Which to school bash. Which I always bash have a tough year. time. Let me just share this with you. I have a difficult time when I say, "Yeah, we gave out grants," because the reality is is that you give to the cooperative program, which means that that money comes in and it's all pulled together, large churches, small churches, and then from there we begin to give that back out to help ministry. Yes. So really all we do is kind of just, we, we just hold on to it for a little bit you know, and, and let it go back out into the ministry. So it's not like we just have a bunch of money. It, it really is your giving that makes it Y'all don't print money? No, no. We tried that, and, and they called us and said, hey, y'all need to stop. All these years, man. I, you know, sometimes people think that goes on in church world, right? Because it's also not, right? And we all realize it's all God's money. It's not our money. Uh, but in a sense, it is in our pockets and in our bank accounts. But it's all God's money, and we get to be a part of uh, what he's doing. You said church health and evangelism. Correct. So you work with a lot of churches, and there's a church planting side of what we do in the Northwest Baptist Convention as well. Correct. Um, and that's, um, you work with those partners, but but other other folks who spend a lot of energy uh, working with church plants and seeing church planting happen across the Pacific Northwest. Right. Well, and two of my team members, they, they are also church planting catalysts. So Rob Correct. For our region. the catalyst for our region. He actually is the church planting, planting catalyst as well. So Correct. So he does... He's kind of got a dual role there, which is really exciting when you think about it, that uh, they have the opportunity to, to walk into a church and be able to speak at both ends of those things, right? To be able to say, hey, I, I want to help you begin to get stronger in what it is that you're doing, but then also to take a look at your community and figure out a place where you might be able to expand and to start a new, a new church, which last year we started, we planted 24, I think it was. 24 churches, which it's is amazing. amazing when you think about it's it. It's amazing. And a lot of different languages. What are there, 400 and some churches that partner with the Northwest Baptist yeah, Convention? Over 500. Yeah, over 500 now. Over That's 20 awesome. some odd. I think it's 27 languages that yeah. they're in. And this last year, this was the first year 
that English was not the predominant spoken language in our church plants. That's amazing. In other words, of the 24 churches that were planted, more of those churches were non-English speaking churches than English speaking churches. So I just want to be clear. When we talk about denominations and Baptists and some of the stuff that goes on at higher levels and we hear stuff in the news and we think, like, is there a point of being a part of networks like this anymore? We're going to say that we can't speak for the National Convention and those kinds of things. But here in the Northwest, we're working hard to make sure that these are realities that partnering together makes us stronger in planting more churches. In fact, that's what happened when Harvest Community Church was planted 30 years ago, that churches bonded together, banded together, and sacrificed financially together to make the launch happen here. And so we're in turn doing the same um, all across the Pacific Northwest. Um, Church health in evangelism, you work with a lot of churches that... We have some churches with us that are not as healthy. Would would you say that's fair? How do you assess that health? Oh, wow. Uh, well, there's a lot of different things. The, the, the first thing is just, you know, their prayer life. What, what, what is it that they're doing as far as prayer? Lots of churches say that they pray, but do they really gather together and seek God's face for what it is that he wants to do? And then the other thing, when you start taking a look at evangelism, do they have an evangelistic strategy? It's more than just are the people being trained, but what is it that you have planned over the course of the next year to reach your community? And are people involved in that? And then a discipleship pathway. You know, is, do you have something to help somebody from the point of even being a pre-believer, somebody that's not yet a believer, all the way to a disciple-making disciple? So, you know, do you have those, those sort of things? That doesn't mean that you're not healthy if you don't have them, but what it does mean is that there, there's room to grow. Yes. And that's part of what we do. We come in and just kind of help churches identify some of those things and then from there help them to put in, into practice some plans. It's really good. It's really good. I, in a total honesty sense, would you say more of our churches are unhealthy or healthy? Yeah, the most of them are unhealthy, quite honestly. But, I mean, that's, hey, most of America, we're unhealthy, right? Most of us are obese. And, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make excuses, but I, I oh, definitely want people to understand that it's not a matter of trying to be difficult or tough on people as much as it is just we, we really need to take a look at it and kind of say, okay, what is it that we, are we going to take this thing serious? Yeah, you, yeah. you talked about the fact that Jesus makes a difference. Well, he uses the church. Matter of fact, I just heard something. It, it wrecked me. This was amazing. This little statement that he said, uh, God didn't give his church a mission. He gave his mission a church. A church. That's good. And I thought, oh my goodness. It just stopped me because it, it, it's not like God's doing something new. He's always been doing this, right? And then along the way, he says, oh, by the way, I'm going to form and build a church that's going to go out and continue to do the work that I've always done. Yeah, we are God's answer. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. an amazing thought when you think about it. Plan A, and there's not a plan not B. Not a plan B, exactly. I preached that, I don't know, a lot of years ago, and I had somebody come to me and say, that sounds kind of guilt-oriented. I'm like, it's just calling. It's not guilt-oriented. It's calling. And um, so from what you know of Harvest Community Church and sort of our talks over the years. Yeah. Are we we healthy or unhealthy-ish 
And there's always room to be healthier. We would all acknowledge that. But, right. but how do you see harvest? And uh, are we are we healthy, unhealthy? Right. Yeah. Well, if we set your pastor aside, you guys are doing pretty good. I'm teasing. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> I'm so teasing. Um, no, no, no. We didn't rehearse this, did we? He had no idea what, but. There's never cash in my pocket, but there is today. For... I, I had no idea that money was coming my way. I would yeah. have changed my answer completely. Right? No, yeah. no, really, really. If, if, because we've worked together, yeah. and some of the things that you have utilized through the the Shepherd to Shepherd and Pastor clusters, I am always amazed. Every time I come here, I go, "Wow, we talked about that eight years ago. Look at this. He's doing it. He's got he's got it rocking and rolling here." So the reality is that if I were to put it on a scale one to ten, I would say that you're around a seven, seven five. That you know your heart and your your eyes, getting people to look outside their building is probably the biggest. That that's the place, the tipping point. Yeah. If we can get people just to realize that it's not about us, but it's about the community we live in, and I think that that's what you've done over the last fifteen years. You've done a phenomenal job with that. It's not me. We're talking about Harvest Community Church. I want to be clear about that. He's talking about you. You know, the, keeping our eyes on our neighborhood, on the community, on Eugene Springfield in the Southern Willamette Valley, and seeing this as our calling and our mission, right? That as many as there are a number of us that are on these walls, there are thousands and thousands of people around us that are not yet, but need to be in these pictures as well. And not just baptisms but discipleship, discipleship pathways. And, you know, you might have heard, like, you know, Bible reading bookmarks. And on the back of that, there's a whole outline of paths and steps to loving God, loving Jesus, loving people, loving the world the way Jesus loves the world. That is our discipleship pathway. And we've been working at that for a number of years. Leading people through that. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Very good. Um, I love that. It's, it is uh, – it is good. I, I, I am killing you on time, and I apologize for that. Let's, let's do one more question, and then you're going to bring the word with us, and I don't want you to feel rushed. Uh, in what ways does partnering together, financially and otherwise, um, in what ways does, does that make a difference? Because sometimes churches uh, that aren't large right. look at our contributions and, and I think we think, well, you know, like a few thousand dollars, does that really make a difference? Oh, my goodness. Such a huge difference. Really, when it comes down to it, I mean, we all know the old saying, right? Many hands make the, make the work light. Um, that, that is the way we cooperate together as churches. It's just the fact that at any opportunity that you have to kind of put your hand in, it just makes it possible for us to be able to do work in a greater capacity. So it really doesn't matter how much you're giving as much as it is that you're partnering and that you're giving something. And, I don't, and I'm not necessarily talking about financially. I'm talking about just being involved, being involved in the different things within your community, being involved in the different things within your association and then within the convention. Yeah. And the point is not a convention. Correct. The point is the mission. Correct. Yeah, that we want to see all of the Pacific Northwest find and follow Jesus. And our assignment is specifically this community here, but beyond this community and in our region, we have an assignment as well. And that's where I love this partnership because it's real life. And uh, in fact, I'll be gathering with Lance and a number of leaders this week as we talk about those partnerships and and what is to come. And so we love you, man. Thanks. Thanks. I love you too. Even though I pick on you. I mean, 
But then again, I wouldn't pick on you if I didn't. Well, at least you got harvest to a 7.5. If you were taking me into consideration, <laughs> you know, it might. Uh, <laughs> I included you in that. Yeah. I, I brought you back in. See, that's why there's so much room for improvement, right? Uh, I love you, man. Thanks for uh, being here and taking Thank the you. time. And your wife, Lisa, is here with yes, us, and I'm, I'm sure she doesn't want the attention. And this uh, year we're celebrating 30 years of marriage, so she has put up with me for 30 years. We have five wonderful kids. That's part of some of the things that I, I, I like to share when I when I get up. So I'll, I'll kind of do it here at this point. So it's kind of cool. We're on the same trajectory. Marcy and I are 30 years of marriage this year. Marcy and I took a, a, a lengthy trip, went to Europe uh, this summer. You guys took a lengthy trip, went to Europe this summer. Unrelated, didn't see each other. Nope. In fact, we weren't there Different at the same time. time. Yeah. And uh, it's cool to see God work. So you share uh, God's word with us Great. and. Uh, I'm handing it to you, bro. Okay, thank you. Thank you, thank you. I love your pastor. I really do. He is a phenomenal man. And like I said, I've known him 12 or 13 years. Uh, and one of the things that I have noticed again and again and again, and you have probably noticed it as well, is that, Brian, it really doesn't matter how he's feeling. He really cares about you, right? Isn't that incredible? I, it, it's so many times that I, I meet him, and the first thing he says, so how are you doing? And I'm going, I'm doing fine. And then later on, I find out, and not because he said it, but somebody else says, yeah, he's really been struggling, you know, suffering with this or with a headache or something. And I just go, wow. And he took time to talk about me and to ask me about me. That's pretty incredible. I do want to just <clears throat> real quickly before we jump into this, we're going to be in John chapter 14, by the way, John chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, you may want to jump there. But I want to say something just real quick, because I think we miss this when it comes to to, uh, I'll say denominational work, though I, I, I don't like that, that word. Uh, when it comes to an association, uh, if, if we think of an association as being something outside of the church, but the reality is that it's an association of churches. So an association wouldn't be an association if it weren't for the churches that were involved in the association. It's the same thing with a convention. It's a convention of churches. A convention wouldn't be a convention if it weren't for the churches that are involved in that. But I think in our minds, and I did it as a pastor as well, I looked at it as them and they and their doing and not so much the fact that it's us together, that all of us together make that and make it work. That's just so important as you're beginning to think about your involvement and what it is that you want to do and how you want to do it. So John chapter 14 um, I, I need to start out with a little bit of a confession. For the last 30 years, so I, I've been in the ministry for a little over 30 years, and probably the last 30 years, I have exclusively looked at this particular passage only as a funeral message. Literally, I, I, I don't think I've ever preached it outside of a funeral setting. Now, that doesn't say anything for you. Remember, you're 7.5 or so, so you're doing well. You're not, you're not dying or anything. I don't want you to, to, to think that. But the other day, <clears throat> I, was, I, was, I was preaching, and I, I went back to this passage, and I began to look at it, and I thought, wait a second. This passage, what Jesus has to say here, it has so much to say to us today and in our current situation, in our current struggles, right? It's not. As a matter of fact, Jesus didn't even he didn't speak this at a funeral setting. He spoke this to his disciples as they were getting ready to go through, or at least they were struggling with the chaos of uncertainty. And in so many ways, we are struggling with the chaos of uncertainty, right? And it just seems as though, I don't know if anybody else feels this way, but I'm 56 years old, and I can remember at 36 years old thinking, ah, it's okay, I know that things are kind of a little bit tough right now, but it'll get better, right? 
Anybody thought that? And then you get to 46. I know it's getting kind of odd, but you know what? It'll get better. It'll swing the other way. Something will change. And then here I am at 56 and I'm looking at it going, oh, my soul. It just continues to get worse and worse and worse, or at least in my estimation. Now, I didn't live at different times in life. And there are places that I talk to, you know, great grandparents and they tell me things and I go, wow, that would be really a difficult thing to go through. But Jesus sits down with his disciples and he talks to them about the chaos of uncertainty. So let me give you just a little context because I, I feel like it's important in order, before we get to the words that he speaks, we need to understand what's going on here. If you go back just a week or two, prior to Jesus speaking these words, you go back to a place where Jesus is with his disciples and they are on the border of Samaria and Galilee. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says to them, it's time for us to go back to Jerusalem. Now, at this point, it's the disciples plus a, a, a multitude. We don't know how big it is, but there's a crowd. It says that there's a crowd. I think it was in, in Mark chapter 9. It talks about the fact that there was Jesus and then there was a crowd that was with him. Now, when Jesus said we're going back to Jerusalem and he said it's time for us to go back. So in other words, we're not just going back there to visit, but they begin to think, okay, this is it. Good things are about to happen. Jesus is going to take over and, and, and we're going to you know, start this war and we're going to kick Rome out. This will be good things. So they begin to head that way. And Mark tells us that the disciples were excited, but that the crowd was anxious. And Jesus notices that the crowd is anxious, but the disciples are, are excited. So he stops, he turns back to them and he says to them, just, I mean, just point blank. He says, listen, we're going back to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed, he's going to be arrested, and then he's going to be crucified. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're thinking good things are about to come, it's coming around the corner, and then he tells you, and I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die, you're going, whoa, whoa. As a matter of fact, Peter did. Peter said, how dare you? Don't say those sort of things. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan, right? In other words, don't get in the way of ultimately what God wants to do. So they start their way towards Jerusalem. And on their way to Jerusalem, they stop in a place called Jericho. You know Jericho, right? You know this story. John, or Luke, Luke chapter 19, as he's walking into Jericho and the people begin to hear that he's coming and they, they, they start to say, oh my goodness, the healer is coming, the teacher is coming, this person that we're not sure who he is, but someone great is showing up. So they begin to come out of their homes and they begin to line the streets so that they can see Jesus as he's walking by. And you know that in Jericho, there is a person who's living there. As a matter of fact, he was the most hated person in all of Jericho. His name was Zacchaeus, right? And Zacchaeus comes out of his house. He runs out towards the, the, the big line of people that are there because Zacchaeus wants to get his eyes on this Jesus guy. But because Zacchaeus was a little guy, right? The song's in your head right now, isn't it? Yeah, I knew it. You guys were singing it. So because he was a little guy, he couldn't get in there. And as a matter of fact, I think that as he's kind of pushing his way in there, trying to get there, I think that people kind of took advantage of that moment because he was a hated guy and they kind of elbowed him right in the head. You know, so just things were going on. And he says, I got to I got to figure out a way to get to see Jesus. So he runs on ahead, climbs up in a tree. You know, this tree, right? It's a sycamore tree. And then the scripture says that as Jesus was walking along, he begins to veer off and he starts to go towards the tree. In my mind, I'm thinking that, that his disciples and all of the other people are looking and they see Zacchaeus is in the tree and Jesus is heading and they're thinking, ah, this is going to be a showdown. This is going to be good. Jesus is going to give him the what for. 
But Jesus shows up at the foot of the, of the, of the tree there. And he looks up into the tree and he's, he says, he has come down. For today I must come to your house. And you know what happens, right? Zacchaeus and Jesus have some sort of come to Jesus moment. I don't know what that was and I don't know what was said there. But somewhere along the way, Zacchaeus says, you know what? I'm going to trust you with all that I have. And if I've wronged anybody, I'll give back. I'm given half of all that I own. If I've wronged anybody, I'll give four times that, that amount to other people or to, to those that I've wronged. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. And the disciples at this point are going, wow can't believe this we thought that he was going to do this but he did this and this man is a changed man because of it and then jesus gets up and he leaves this time the crowd's a little larger and he comes to a little village by the name of bethphage now it's interesting bethphage there's this place that's just outside of jerusalem and he stops and he says listen guys i want you to go into bethphage and i want you to Go in my mind. He doesn't say this, but in my mind, he says, "I want you to go in. I want you to go to the left, and just off to the left there, you're going to see a donkey, and he's tied up. And I want you to go, and I want you to grab that donkey, and I want you to bring the donkey to me. If anybody asks you, what are you doing with that donkey? That donkey doesn't belong to you. Then you just tell them the master has has need for it. So they do that. They go in, and they find it exactly the way that Jesus said." Which is unusual, right? It's not like it's not like they had Booking.com and he could rent a donkey. But yet, Jesus knew that his father was already going ahead of him. His father was already preparing things. His father was already taking care of things. I've already reserved a donkey. Just go and get him. And they do. They bring the donkey back out. Jesus goes through Bethphage, and then he gets just outside of Jerusalem. He climbs onto the donkey, and he begins to ride in towards Jerusalem. The people know that he's coming. They come out of Jerusalem, and they line the streets. And then they begin to shout, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. And it's an amazing uh, sight. It's just incredible. So many people yelling and screaming. This is the moment. The disciples at this time have to think, Jesus got it wrong. This is going to be so good. And then the Pharisees show up. And they shout over the shouting of everybody else. And they say, Jesus! Jesus! Tell your followers to quiet down, to stop praising you. And Jesus says, if they do, then the rocks will cry out. Right? I mean, what a beautiful thing. And he makes his way into Jerusalem. And the the, the crowd begins to disperse. And and from there, he's there for a few days. And there's this game of cat and mouse between Jesus and the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus. They're trying so hard. Matter of fact, they put a a, a bounty out on Jesus. And everything was set. And all they they were just looking for a time and a moment when he would be all by himself. And then they could capture him and they could grab him. But Jesus didn't give them that. He was always in public where he showed up. And then there was this point in time when they were in the temple. And Jesus cleanses the temple. And it's at that point that the Pharisees come and they say to Jesus, by what authority do you do this? And Jesus asks them a few questions. And through that asking, he points out their hypocrisy. And ultimately what he says is that, listen, I'm not going to answer your question because you refuse to answer my question. Because it would point out your hypocrisy. And then along this time, the disciples come to him and they say, Jesus, it's time for the Passover. Are, are we going to do anything? And Jesus says, oh, yeah. I tell you what, I want you to go down the street, take a right. Again, my words, take a right, go up the stairs. 
and knock on the door. And when you get there, just tell them to prepare for the Passover because the master and his disciples are coming. In other words, he called ahead again. Of course, Jesus didn't. It was, it, it was the father who, who, who were making these arrangements, getting things settled, these things taken care of. I don't fully understand it. I don't get it, but I know that somehow it's happening. God is always at work. Even in the midst of the chaos, even in the midst of when you think everything's going well and you're at the highest of highs, he is at work. When he, you are at the lowest of lows, he is at work. He is always doing something. And then the day comes and the disciples, the scripture says that the disciples arrive in the upper room and they begin to argue with one another, which they were always arguing with one another about who was the greatest, right? No, I'm better. No, I'm better. No, I'm closer. No, I'm closer. And Jesus shows up and he notices what's going on. So he begins to teach him. He just simply says to them, listen, when you're sitting at the table, the, the, the leader is, is sitting at the head of the table. But I have come to you as a servant and I served you and yet I am greater than you. And so he's trying to get them to understand that really it's not about who's greater. I'm the greatest and you're the ones that, that are serving and I'm serving. We're doing this together. But they didn't get it. So Jesus goes over and it says that he took a basin and a pitcher of water. He pours water into the, into the basin. He takes off his outer garment. He puts his towel on and he begins to go from disciple to disciple to disciple washing their feet. You know the story, right? And they're amazed. As a matter of fact, Peter says, no, 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 not me. And they have this interaction between one another. And Jesus continues to wash the disciples' feet until he comes to the end. And he looks at them and says, this is the way you treat one another. And you treat other people, right? And then the scripture says that they have what we have come to know as the Last Supper. And during that time, he takes a morsel of bread, he dips it into the wine, and he hands it to Judas. And the betrayer is identified. And Judas gets up and he leaves, and everyone thinks to themselves, he must be going and taking care of some other business. And then Jesus looks at them, and he has the Last Supper. And then the scripture says that they sing a hymn, and they stand up, and he says, let's go to the garden. And they start to head towards the garden. Now, Jesus knows what's coming. They don't know what's coming. It is that chaos of uncertainty. It is that I'm not quite sure. I don't quite feel like it's going the right way. I can sense in my, in my master, I can sense in the Lord that something's not quite the way that it should be. But yet, he is taking us there. And it's there that he stops. And I think like a good father, right? Like a good father, he looks into his disciples' eyes and he speaks these words. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So with all of that background, with all of that understanding, the highs and lows of following Jesus, of, 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 of feeling like things are going to be different, things are going to be great, good things are happening. Wait a second, I'm not sure if it's going to go the way that I think it's going to go. Jesus on his way to the place where he's going to be betrayed, he is going to be arrested. He looks at his disciples and the first thing he says, I love this, I love this, I love this. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Basically what he says to them 
is that I can see it in you. You're struggling. You're having a difficult time. Don't you love that about Jesus? He sees you. They didn't have to say, wait, Jesus, I'm feeling a little anxious right now. I kind of feel like I have to tell him that, so I tell him that again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Anybody else's prayers like that? And yet here it is, they're walking along and he just stops and says, don't let your heart be troubled. Jesus acknowledges that life is full of trouble. As a matter of fact, in the same conversation, just a few chapters later, he says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. What things did you, he told them that all the stuff that I just, I just lined out, the fact that, that, that not to let your heart be troubled, that I'm going ahead of you, that I'm going to take care of these things, that I'm going to come back and take, and take care of you. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And that word peace is harmony, tranquility, completeness, contentment. I love that. When was the last time you just were really at peace and harmony? and content with the way things were. And Jesus goes on to say, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome. And the word overcome there is prevailed. I have prevailed over the world. See, Jesus is saying that trouble is inevitable, but it doesn't have to overwhelm us. As a matter of fact, that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to overcome the things that overwhelm us. So real quick, real quick, I need to hit these things really fast because we're losing time and the next group's going to come in here and they're going to catch the end of it and then they'll be confused. So let's do this. Three things, three things real quick that Jesus kind of lays out that he says, listen, if you want to overcome, if you want to prevail, if you want to make it through this life with the faith, but to have the faith to go on, three things you need to know. The first is you have to have faith in a person. You have to have faith in a person. Listen to what he says. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. What an interesting thing for him to say, right? You believe in God, believe also in me. You know what Jesus is saying? I think Jesus is telling us is that there is a difference between just believing in God and believing in Jesus. Now, let let me explain that to you. See, because most of the people in the first century there, they all believed in God. Even today, 85% of the people that you run into, they believe in God. As a matter of fact, I would go so far as to say even the most staunchest of atheists that I have ever met if I get into a real conversation with them and we begin to dig deeper than just you know, the, the, the surface stuff, we get to a place where they at least admit that there was something that made, made everything. It's just not your something, right? So it's, it, in other words, it's not that I don't believe in a God. I just don't believe in your God. And Jesus lays it out here and he says, listen, to believe in God is to believe in a power that creates. To believe in Jesus is to believe in a God that knows your name and cares about you, and sent his son to die for you. As a matter of fact, the most famous verse that almost anybody knows is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Man, there's something about that that just sounds so right, right? He knows you. He knows your pain. He knows what you're going through, and he sent his son for you. To walk, he steps into your trouble, not to save you from your trouble, but to save you through your trouble. Faith in a person. Remember the story of little Johnny. 
little Johnny, his, his pastor was, was, was getting ready to preach, and, and he heard someone told him that, that little Johnny was, was memorizing scriptures. So after the service, the pastor went up to little Johnny, and he says, Johnny, listen, next week I'm going to be preaching on Psalm 23. I hear that you're memorizing scriptures. Johnny says, yes, sir. He says, would it be possible for you to memorize Psalm 23, the whole psalm, the whole thing? It would be wonderful if you, you could just do that whole thing. And then I'm going to have you get up and, and say the psalm in front of everybody, right? And then, and then from there, I'll get up and preach. And Johnny went, oh, wow, I don't know. He says, oh, you can do it. I know you can. So Johnny says, okay. And he goes home to mom and dad. He says, mom and dad, Pastor, Pastor Brian asked me to do this. And they said, okay. So they started really early because they, they, they wanted to make sure that he got it down, right? And they started going through it again and again and again. And by Thursday, they were tired of Johnny because he kept getting up and saying, I got to do it again. I got to do it again. I got to do it again. And then by Sunday, he had it. And Sunday morning came. And the pastor says, we're going to have Johnny come up and he's going to recite Psalm 23. And Johnny began to make his way up there. And and then the pastor said, but wait a second, Johnny, before you do that, we're going to have the children come in. So the children came in from Children's Church and they walked all the way in and they walked up and they sat down on the floor right next to, 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 to everybody and little Johnny went, oh, my goodness, I got this crowd of people, and I got all these children, all these kids are my friends. Oh, and he got a little nervous. He looked out of there, and he said, and you know the psalm, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he got up, and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. He's all I want. And the kids began to snicker because they had heard Johnny in mid- midweek when he was going through it. They knew he got it wrong. Johnny was embarrassed. He ran down and buried his face into his mama's lap. His mom says, oh, Johnny, what's wrong? What's wrong? He said, Mama, I got it wrong. I said, he's all I want. And she says, oh, no, honey, you got it right. He's all you want. He's all you need. Jesus is enough. The second thing, you've got to have faith in a person. The second thing is that you've got to have faith in a plan. You've got to have faith in a plan. Verse 2 says, in my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. I love this. And something happens when you know there is something really fantastic waiting just around the corner, right? I mean, you could be going through anything, any problems. If you know that something really good is around the corner, you can make it through that, right? See, in my estimation, in my feelings, I think that being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus is like, like being a person who's three days from a vacation. Have you ever been three days from a vacation? Oh my goodness, that's like the best place. As a matter of fact, they did a study recently and they said that people, the, the time before vacation, that it actually says that that is a better time than the vacation itself, right? So three days from a vacation is an amazing moment. Everything is packed. You've got the reservations made. You're excited about going and seeing friends and family and everything else, right? And, but you still have to go to work because you're three days from, you're not on vacation. You're three days from a vacation. So you show up at work. And it doesn't matter what goes on. I mean, people can come to you and say, oh, the machine broke. That's okay. I'm three days from a vacation. (laughs) Right? So-and-so quit. You're going to have to do his job. That's okay. I'm three days from a vacation. The place burned down. I can go early. (laughs) Right? That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to go before you, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. How amazing must that be? place B. A pastor a century ago actually was asked that question. What's heaven like? And he said it is the most beautiful place that the mind of God could conceive and that the hand of God could create. 
just sit back and take a look at the beauty that is around you and then imagine how much greater the place that Jesus is preparing for you. I love the story of the little girl walking along with her dad at night. She looked up into the starry night. We don't get many of those in the Northwest. But she looked up into the starry night. And she says, oh, Daddy, if the wrong side of heaven is so beautiful, what must the right side be like? Man, isn't that awesome? So faith in a person. Faith in a plan. God's working it, right? He's all, I love that. Jesus said, my father is always working. How did he know that that donkey was going to be there? Because my father is always working. How did he know that that room was going to be prepared? Because my father is always working. I don't understand it, but my father's always working. And then the last thing is faith in a promise. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The greatest promise that the Christian has is the promise that you don't have to go it alone. In the chaos of uncertainty, you don't have to go it alone, right? That is amazing to me. He's gonna, as a matter of fact, he even promises in Matthew chapter 28. He says, listen, I'm sending you out into all the world, but then he says, and I am with you always even to the end of the age. I love that. Then we're going to wrap it up real quick here. This is how Jesus ends it. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You know the way where I am going. And Thomas, one of his disciples, said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Thomas the Tempest says this, without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. And without the life, there is no living. You got to have faith in a person, faith in a plan, and faith in a promise. Folks, listen, Jesus is enough, right? No matter what you're facing, he's enough. The next 24 hours for these disciples is going to be absolutely upside down. But this is how he prepared them. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, right? I love that. Here's what I want to do. I don't have much time, but I'm going to pray for you. And, and, and I'm just going to ask you guys, after I pray, I'm going to, I, I think the band's coming, is that correct? I saw them peek their head in and I go, wait, he's still going. So, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then what I'm going to do is I'm just going to ask you, if you would just, as quickly, but I want you to respond, is, is take a piece of paper and would you just tear off a piece of paper and I want you to write down, because I, I feel like it's important for you to respond. Jesus is enough. No matter what you're going through, Jesus is enough. That's all. And as we sing this last song, would you come and just make this like an old-fashioned altar? Would you just come and lay that down on the altar? Say, that's your responding to God. I heard you today. You are enough. Just Jesus is enough. And place that on the altar. Would you do that? All right, guys. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity for me to be here. God, I pray that you would move in the midst of this moment. God, I know that you're God. And Lord, you know what it is that we're going through. You know what I, we came into the room with, what burdens we're carrying, what we're scared of as we walk out the door. 
you already know. And yet, Lord, you are enough to get us through that triumphantly. So, God, I give you this moment. I ask that you move on our hearts. And as we respond to you, that you would just fill us with who you are and give us the courage to take the next step. For it's in your precious name. Amen. All right, guys, if you'll stand with me. And as we sing this song, just set your Jesus is enough down.